Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Hey, so this morning, we have a special guest speaker that's going to be sharing or preaching from the pulpit, his name is Rob Reamer. And Rob wrote a book called Soul Care that I was introduced to many years ago. And it's a book that helps people through a very thorough discipleship come to the place where they're freed up from the things in their lives that seem to overcome them and overwhelm them. And so we've seen several hundred people here at City go through the soul care. And we always conclude that with what we call Freedom Weekend. And it's a weekend where Rob comes and he does some in-depth teaching. And then we, st- we spend time praying over people who need to be freed up from things in their lives. And so I'm really excited that he's back here with us again. One of the other things, Rob is an author. He didn't just write the book Soul Care, but he's written several other books that are excellent. And if you would be uh, open to checking those out as you exit the sanctuary to the left, there's a table there with some of his books on it. And again, if you would like to just pick one of those up and of course pay for it because you're in church. How does that sound? So that's it. And now I'd like us to give a warm city welcome to Rob Reamer. Rob, God bless you, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Good to be with you. I want to reflect with you a little bit today about this season in COVID. Listen, I'm going to share personally and some of the things the Lord's been talking to me about, and you may find them helpful. Um, I found this to be one of the more unsettling seasons of my life. The beginning of COVID, you know, you got disconnected from a lot of people. Like my dad has a pre-existing condition. I couldn't see him for almost a year. And my dad's getting older and I don't know how long I'll have him around. And so there's grief. Um, For us personally, a lot of our income comes from my going out speaking. And all of a sudden, all my speaking events were canceled from March all the way through October just blew up all of our income stream. And so, you know, literally in April, I'm sitting there going, well, how are we going to make money? You know, I'm in this kind of stuff that was on my plate. And so I grieved through all that stuff, personal loss, grief. And I thought, yeah, I'll be better now. And I got through all the personal grief, and I still felt deeply unsettled. Probably for the first time in my life. And so I was sitting with the Lord one day, and this image came to my mind. This is what it felt like to me. It felt like we were all sitting in a nice boat, securely moored to a safe dock in a safe harbor. And someone came through and cut us loose. All of a sudden, the boat's out in the open seas, and there's a vicious storm, and there's rocks all around, and we felt like we were in perilous danger. Everything felt like it was just disassembling, falling apart on so many levels. And uh, one day, I'm sitting with that image in my mind that that's what it's feeling like. And this thought crossed my mind. What if God unmoored us because we were moored to the wrong dock? What if God was in this? I'll tell you something. For the last year and a half, that has changed the way I viewed what's been going on. And I want to... 
look to Jesus' life together with you this morning. So, you know, one of the things that I love about Jesus, there's so many things I love about Jesus, but one of the things I love about Jesus is the guy is totally unflappable and completely triumphant no matter what comes his way in life. No matter how bad circumstances get, he just never loses that sense of grace under pressure. Completely unflappable. So the question that I have is, what was it about Jesus that enabled him to weather every storm in life with that kind of demeanor? And I think, at least part, it's because of his mooring to eternity. And I want to look at this out of the life of Jesus. I think the key phrase I want to look at is the word abiding. It's a word that Jesus uses So here's my first thought that's come out of this season. If we're going to be moored to our eternally safe dock, we need to abide in our identity. We need to abide in who we are as deeply loved children of God. And again, let's look to Jesus because this is how Jesus lived. This is our safe harbor. You start Jesus' ministry, Luke chapter 3. And Jesus goes to get baptized. Pick up verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And he was, as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove in bodily form. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You know, this is God's declaration over Jesus' love. You are my deeply loved son. And this comes out loud in front of everybody. And the very next scene in the next chapter, everything about that statement gets challenged in Jesus' life. The very first challenge is the temptation. He goes out, led by the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness. He's out in the wilderness, and Satan himself comes by, the enemy of our souls, and challenges Jesus' identity. This is his first statement. If you are the Son of God. Well, that's what the Father just told him. This is my son whom I love, with him I am well placed. But Satan takes that to task. If you are the son of God. But Jesus, once again, deeply moored to what the Father says, is unflappable in the midst of this temptation and encounter with Satan himself. He leaves from there. He gets back to his hometown. He walks into a synagogue one day, pulls up a passage of Scripture from Isaiah, reads it, And it's a messianic passage, a passage that declares who Jesus is and what Jesus will do, the coming of the Messiah. And as he reads it, he declares, this passage is fulfilled in your midst. And the people start to complain. See, they're used to this guy. You know, he's the carpenter kid. You know, he's Joseph's son. He's Mary's boy. He grew up with us. And that's literally what they start to complain about him. Who's this guy think he is? He's just the carpenter down the road. He's one of our own, and they're challenging what the Father has just said about him. Listen, Jesus is attacked by the enemy, rejected by people, and eventually, if you read the end of the story, he gets falsely accused on a sham trial, ends up crucified, and yet remains completely unflappable under all the attacks. And the question is, how? And I want to look at a passage in 1 Peter chapter 2 that I think really helps us. 1 Peter chapter 2, the context, this church is in suffering, and Peter makes a statement to him, says, listen, there's no credit if you suffer for doing wrong in life. But if you suffer for doing the right thing, you see, that's noble. 
And he says to him, if you suffer for doing the right thing, you're following in the footsteps of Jesus who came to suffer with us. And then he makes this statement, when they hurled their insults at him, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Let me just make two comments out of that passage. Here's the first comment. Only people who are moored to their temporal identities are threatened and defensive under attack. When you're moored to your eternal identity that you are a deeply loved child of God, even under attack, you aren't defensive because you are secure in the eternal decision of the Father that you're loved. This is why Jesus was so secure amidst attacks. Because though everybody else is pointing out his temporal identities, Jesus is rooted in his Father's deep love. And he's unshakable amidst the personal attacks. Only insecure people are defensive. When we're insecure, then we are defensive. I want you to notice the second thing about Jesus. He makes this statement at the end. Instead, he says, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This word entrust is the exact same word that is used of Judas when he hands Jesus over. That's literally the phrase. He handed Jesus over to the rulers and then he was falsely accused and crucified. When Judas handed Jesus over to his crucifiers, Jesus in turn handed himself over to his father and his eternal just opinion. All the opinions of the people around him were that he's not who he says he is, and he's not who the father said he was. He's just the carpenter guy, and he's usurping power, and he needs to be crucified. But the father's just opinion is, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. He's come to fulfill this assignment. And Jesus so deeply rooted himself in that identity, he was unshakable no matter how difficult life got. This is why Jesus could overcome. My own journey, you know, the first time I really had to wrestle with my identity issues was um, when I had planted a church. Jen and I planted a church in the Boston area. The church grew. Uh, Lots of people came to faith in Christ. Every number that you measure church growth by, attendance, finances, small groups, baptisms, conversions, all going up into the right. Things were going great. There was only one problem. My wife didn't like me anymore. Some of you have done this before. You did what I'm about to say. When my wife didn't like me anymore, my focus was on praying that she would change. Has anybody ever prayed for someone else to change? Let's get real for a second. Come on, let's be honest, okay? The rest of you lie. And uh, yeah, everybody's done this, right? And you know, I prayed for a while, like God save her, heal her, deliver her, fix her, whatever needs to happen, like get this thing straight, right? And after a while, I realized... You are the only one responsible for you, and you can never fix a relational problem by focusing on the other person. The only way you can fix a relational problem is by becoming a healthier person. So I stopped praying Jen would change, and I started dealing with my issues. I'll tell you something that happened. When we went through that season, I felt cut loose once again from the dock, deeply unmoored, very unsettled. 
Like this woman that I love the most in the world no longer loved me, and I felt very unsettled. I had to get to the place where even if Jen left me, I was going to be okay because Jesus loved me. Now hear me for a second. Life's better when Jen likes me. But even if Jen left me, the fact is it didn't change my father's eternal opinion of me. And I needed to bank my life on that opinion. I needed to moor myself to that eternal, just opinion. I finally got to the place where even if Jen did leave me, I would have been okay. Now, here's the good news. We're now 31 years into marriage, and she likes me better than ever, so we're doing all right, okay? Listen, let me just say this. When we went through COVID, one of the things that struck me is that, in general, the church was way too tied to her temporal identity than her eternal one. Truth is, we were more American than we were Christian. We were more Republican and Democrat, because I live in both camps, man. I'm in, uh, I'm in the suburbs, and I'm in the inner cities. I see both parties. And we were more Republican and Democrat than we were eternal citizens. You know, we were more white, black, Asian, and Latino than we were children of God in some of our thinking. And, you know, I just had to get remoored. Our eternal citizenship needs to take priority of all of our other temporal identities. Your opinions matter. These things matter. But at the end of the day, when we get to eternity, this is the one that matters most of all. This is where he wants us more. There's a second thing that really occurred to me in this season, and that is if we're going to be securely moored to our eternal dock, then we're going to have to abide not only in our identity, but we're going to have to abide in intimacy with the Father like Jesus did. This is one of the reasons why Jesus was so unflappable. Luke chapter 4, Jesus, right after, you know, he's uh, baptized, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So the Spirit of God is leading him into the wilderness. There he's spending time alone with the Father, and that's where Satan comes and tempts him. When he comes away from the temptation, once again, deeply moored still in his identity, Luke 4.14 says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. His life is just saturated by the Spirit because he is abiding in intimacy with the Father. In John's gospel, Jesus keeps repeating phrases like this, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only go where the Father tells me to go. I only say what the Father tells me to say. In John chapter 5, verse 19, he says, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. When I look at Jesus' life, I think here's the secret of Jesus' success. Find what the Father wants and do it, no matter what. That's his whole life. He's living this deeply intimate relationship with the Father. He hears what the Father says, and he obeys. And this is how his life is saturated with the presence of God. When he finishes modeling this for us and teaching this about this is how he lives life, in John chapter 15, he challenges us to take the same road. He says these words in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. In other words, if you stay intimately connected like a branch to a vine, then you'll bear the fruit that the vine has within it. But if there's a disconnect, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Abiding is critically important to staying deeply rooted to our eternal dock. And abiding often is about intimacy, not just coming after God for his hands. God fix this. God solve that. God help me here. God do this. It's about this deep connection, personal, intimate relationship. One of the things that I discovered in COVID, there was so much negativity around me, I felt like I was swimming in a sewer of negativity. And one day I was sitting with a group of friends. We were uh, from all different tribes and tongues. There was a, one of my best friends is a, an African-American guy. There was a Latino guy there, a Korean guy there, and then there was a bunch of us that were white. Really good friends, been friends for a real long time, and we were sitting around chatting, and all the conversation kept swimming down the stream of negativity. We were talking about, you know, it happened to be election season, oh dear God, and so there were, you know, anti-Trumpers and pro-Trumpers, and anti-Biden and pro-Biden, and there was the vaccine and the no vaccine, and the mask and the no mask, and the riots, and the political unstableness, and all of this stuff was coming up, and there was just a, a tremendous negativity, and honestly, it was so depressing to me. And when the night was over, these are like some of my best friends in the world. And when the night was over, I thought, I can't keep doing this, Lord. And I heard this phrase. The Lord said to me, take Paul literally. And then I heard two passages pop into my head. Ephesians chapter 5 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And in those two passages, Paul says that we are to give thanks in all circumstances, and we are to give thanks for everything. Now, hear me for a second. I'd love to dismiss Paul out of hand and say that's just crazy talk. He doesn't mean that, except for the fact Paul's the guy that when he gets in prison, gets beaten, and you remember what he does? He rejoices. The guy really means this stuff. He lived it. So I decided I was going to take God seriously, so I'm giving thanks for Trump and Biden. I'm giving thanks for the rioting that's going on and the racism that's being revealed because God is going to redeem it somehow. I'm giving thanks for everything that's swimming down the stream of negativity that somehow or another COVID uncovered. And as I'm walking through this thing, I'm going to tell you something that happened to me. It painted Jesus right back into the center of the picture of COVID and all of the circumstances going on. And it rekindled my fire, my passion for Jesus. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is pretty clear. He said, the very first and most important thing is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Hear me for a second. If Jesus is your first love, that implies that you must be preoccupied with Jesus above all other preoccupations. Think with me about when you fell in love for the first time. It totally preoccupies your mind. When I fell in love for the first time with Jen, you know, I, I wrote a, a series of notes because we ended up having to separate. She was in Albany, New York, and I was down in Nyack and finishing school. I wrote her a, a, a notepad full of notes so that every day she could turn the page and read a fresh note from me, right? And just because you're consumed with love. By my friends all these days are all grandparents, you know, I, I don't have grandkids yet, but all my friends are getting to be that age, so they all have grandkids. Literally, every time I get to friends with my friends, uh, they pull out their phones. Oh, I wanted to show you. Oh, dear God, I know you think they're cute. <laughs> Why? But it's because they're obsessed with their grandkids. 
Because whatever you really deeply love, that's where your mind gets stuck, preoccupied. Hear me for a second. One of the great problems with COVID was our minds became preoccupied with all this negative stuff, and it literally distracted us from our obsession with Jesus. We must renew our obsession with Jesus. Listen, if we want to be deeply moored in a season that's a bit unsettling, I think we're going to have to get moored again to our eternal identity. And we're going to have to get moored again to our first love, intimacy with Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God this morning. And some of you, you know, in this season, you recognize you've become a little too uh, preoccupied with some of the negativity. And some of you, if you're honest, you've been distracted from your first love. And today is one of those days you get to hit a reset button. And just take a moment, pause with God, and say, I want to return to my eternal moorings because I've been a little unmoored. Why don't you pray and just do business with God, and I'll wrap it up here in just a second. so easy to get on moored, Lord. We live in a temporal world with temporal concerns, but they seem so overwhelming at times. And our minds, they get obsessed with the problems. Fear kicks in. We start thinking about all the difficulties, all the problems. And it distracts us from our primary love. Jesus said, wherever your heart is, You know, that's where your mind was going to wander to as well. And so I pray for us today that our hearts would be reset, remoored to our permanent, eternal citizenship, to our first love, to intimacy with you. And out of that, there would be a new sense of significance, freedom, purpose, fullness, We might really make a difference in a world that's really struggling with a lot of darkness. We might be one, as Jesus prayed, so the world would believe. And in this season of chaos, there might be a great harvest. Many, 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 many would find their eternal moorings in Christ. I prayed in his name. Amen.